Discover the latest in home entertainment at Harvey Norman. Our specialist staff can help find the TV that's right for you. Get the Samsung 55-inch QN94neo QLED TV. Now 1699. Plus claim up to 230 euro cashback. Or save 600 euro on the Sony 55-inch OLED Android TV. Now 1599. Shop our range of big screen TVs in store or online today. Harvey Norman, your TV specialists. Cashback T's and C's apply. See in store for full details. He's wearing a Roddy Collins jacket. He's got his teeth done like Ross from Friends. He is looking, <laughs> ma- he, 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 he's looking magnificent and he's ready to go. Just for the pod, lads. Just for the pod. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black box car insurance lets young drivers bounce past high-cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. You're welcome along. The Heineken Champions Cup gets underway this weekend. It is a massive weekend for the Irish provinces. On Saturday, Leinster are hosting Bath and Ulster are away to Claremont. And on Sunday, Connacht are at home to Stade Francais and Munster are making that trip to Wasps. A very depleted Munster side indeed. And a game you will hear live commentary of on Off the Ball throughout Sunday afternoon. Delighted to say that Brian O'Driscoll is fresh from his world travels with us today. Brian, how are you getting on? Really good, Owen. Thank you. Yeah, really good. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 the last 10 days sounded like I've actually got a relatively good life. But <laughs> that, that hasn't been the case like everybody else in the last 18 months. So I feel like I'm packing a lot into these last 10 days. I'm not going to lie. The Dubai 7s looks like incredible crack. It, it's one of the really great events. It is. And it's a hard sell at home when I'm leaving my wife with three kids <laughs> and all of that to do. And I'm trying to pitch it as... Um, as work don't don't get me wrong they are long days but you're getting to have a good time get to have a few beers and um and hang out in good company in good weather in in kind of uh, late november early december so there's a lot to like about it the fact that it's the only event that has men's women's and vets i think just makes it the event that it is and um yeah it's 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 a funny one it's like the the stadium's away from from the rest of the city it's like 45 minutes it's almost a bit of we we don't know what you're getting up to out there but <laughs> do it away from prying eyes <laughs> and and uh, and then by the time you know you're 45 minutes to get back into town to sober up make sure you're in better shape if you want to get into any of the clubs or any of the bars in here so it's it's the it's the perfect formula I'm not going to lie, I, I may or may not have looked at the 7 Series and seeing where uh, the 7 Series uh, comes to around this part of the world. And there's a couple of European dates. I think, I think they're in Spain for a couple of the, yeah, the men's Malaga. women's. Yeah. Malaga and Seville um, yeah, are, um, are replacing Sydney. Hamilton, I think, was the, was the last New Zealand one. It had previously been Wellington. So, yeah, like the fact that the Sevens is back up and running, it's been one of the ones that has been most impacted because obviously Sevens is all about um, by full stadia, about mm. the whole you know, atmosphere of you can't play Sevens behind closed doors. It just doesn't work. They feed, if ever uh, an environment fed off the atmosphere of um, you know people having a good time, getting in fancy dress and you know having a good party atmosphere, it's it's seven. So to have it back up and running and to feel as though there are you know these other series events that are lined up, there's still one or two like the 
the flagship event in in Hong Kong has been nudged on to November because of the massive restrictions that are currently still going on there. So there's still a bit of uncertainty around it, but you know, so good to have it back. And it was funny; it was it was like people had been locked up and were just ready to let go. And it was um, yeah, it's it's always a good event. It just felt as though we won't take it for granted as much the next time it comes around. So when can we expect the photographic imagery of you crowd surfing at this particular Sevens event to, to come to fruition? Well, I, I, well, <laughs> I just got sent a video of Friday night of, of a little bit of dad dancing going on. <laughs> and trust me, if ever my phone gets hacked, that is one of the things that I never want <laughs> released into the public domain. I took a still of it and that was as far as I was willing to go. But it was some catastrophic moves going on but um yeah for a very select group of friends hopefully i'll, I'll understand with their loyalty and not divulging <laughs> some of those moves so it was dubai and then on the way home i stopped off for another bit of hard work in paris this time you're catching up with finn russell i think yeah i but yesterday was uh yeah it was like on a six thirty flight you know, by the time we got through passport control and everything, it was nearly 10 o'clock. Quick taxi over to close to the Eiffel Tower, met Finn and um, with the crew at, you know, just before 12 o'clock, walked and talked for an hour, jumped back in the car, back to the airport on a half three. So it was a very fleeting visit, but it was a stunning day in Paris. I think it had been horrible weather for the previous 10 days. So to get a day like we did get, and then Finn was, you know, I don't know him well, but he's such good company and, um, you know, very chatty and, um, you know, sometimes doesn't have the filter, which makes him interesting listening as well. Um, that's why people love listening, to, you know, about, you know, to his honesty. He, he is loving life in Paris as much as he's missing Zebes. I think it really suits him. And, um, yeah, he's he's playing some, you know, cracking rugby there. So, yeah, we, we're kind of talking Lions in Scotland and obviously Rassing, the fact that they've been in a few finals now but haven't managed to get it done. So, yeah, it was a um, nice little day trip to, to pop over to Paris for four or five hours. Good stuff. Well, that is the fixture that kicks it all off. Uh, on Friday night 8 o'clock Northampton uh, against Racing 92 in that one closer to home then on Saturday Leinster are at home to Bath it is a 3.15 kickoff in this one and it really seems Brian this week that everybody has to try their best to reach around for reasons why Leinster won't win this with a bonus point Yeah it's difficult you look at the form, form book at the moment particularly with the returning internationals coming back to Leinster last Friday against Connacht. I obviously was away, so and he saw it, um, you know, uh, 48 hours later, and there was a pretty impressive performance. Because in fairness to Connacht, they properly came at Leinster, particularly in that first half. But it just felt as though Leinster had other gears. And then you look at some of the athletes like that. I, I, I one of the lads had texted me in a WhatsApp group about Dan Sheehan's try. I was like, okay, I can't wait to see that. Oh my goodness, that was <laughs> something else. It's that new breed. He is. He fits into that new breed hooker out in the cha in, in the trams like nobody else. So very very exciting to see um, you know some of the you know those younger players emerging and coming through. Um, so yeah, and then you you know you counter that with what's going on in Bath for the last number of months, zero from nine in the Premiership. They probably haven't been as bad as that would suggest. You know, I, I was looking at their Exeter game in, uh, a couple of weeks ago where, you know, they narrowly lost it. And they are playing some okay stuff 
it, but it does feel like a case they just need to win one to actually get going again and build a bit of confidence. But I, I just don't see how um, how it's going to come this weekend um, with you know the form that Leinster are currently in, even without you know one or two of their players, you know, particularly with Johnny. It feels as if Leinster are now in this sphere where we almost won't get a full sense of how capable they are of winning this thing until it's either too late or until they've won the whole thing. It feels that they're almost a shoe to get out of this given the strength and depth that they have, the quality that they have and the questions that have come up over the last couple of seasons, particularly in the pack and the power, the way they got overpowered last year and to an extent against Saracens as well over the previous couple of years. It doesn't feel that we're going to get an answer to that question anytime soon, but we can make guesses. Is your sense that they have righted a few of those wrongs already this season? Well, I think they've they've done it, but also I think we derive a huge amount of confidence as a Leinster fan with the Irish performances, um, largely because you look at how many numbers were were playing, um, you know, in that Irish pack in particular, and where Leinster have come unstuck in the last few years, it it does feel in the in the physical combat sense, you know, against bigger teams, against bigger opposition, you know, the Will Skeltons of the world, the Marotogis, the Billy Vanapolas, these guys, they they've won the collision zone, and sometimes you can read into that more than you need to. But the fact that it happened twice against Saracens and then a third time against La Rochelle, it's very hard to get away from from that being their Achilles' heel. Um, but you have to remember in the La Rochelle game, they started the game brilliantly. They actually had the the you know, they, they got the upper hand in the first 12, 13 minutes. They scored a try. They physically imposed themselves. So all of a sudden, why did that Why did that stop? And sometimes that's just how games go, where teams just play better. They, you know, get a bit of confidence because they, you know, get their lines of running right or they, you know, they make, make some inroads. And then all of a sudden they think, oh, okay, maybe there is a bit of a soft uh, underbelly to this, you know, team in some shape or form. So... Um, th- there's never a huge amount between any semi-final or final teams or rarely there are so it's sometimes just the team that plays on the day and because those three three you know, cluster in a pattern of being physically dominated then it, that's why we're talking about Leinster concerns when it gets to the, the later knockout stages do they have the bodies to do it but now you see Conan coming through uh, Doris coming through but most of all the front row that have played in the November series. You know, we talk about world-class front rows internationally. Well, we've got one, but imagine those three then going and playing for your club with the likes of Sheehan and and um, Kean Healy on the bench potentially as well. So I think that's where Leinster have been lacking in guys being able to get you over the, the advantage line. And now there is no doubt that there's no need for a far overseas signing a Rocky Elson or a Nathan Hines or a Brad Thorne because they possess four, five, six really good ball carriers that should be able to deal with anything that Europe throws at them. So this is a big season for them because yeah. yes, there's pressure. Um, they, you know, they've they've flattered to deceive uh, in the last five years. Even though they have won a, a European title, um, there, it felt as though there's more European titles in them over that period of time, and that chased them to to five. Now that Toulouse have gotten there, now they're on catch up, and um, it does feel like like they they need to deliver and, and get to a final. And, and the reality is that their standards are so high now; it's about winning it. It's like if you don't win Europe, it's, it is going to be a, a disappointment. Yeah, Not many it, other teams can say that. Like it does kind of feel that if all they have to show, this generation have to show for it is that, is that one 
Champions Cup a few years ago while that's a great achievement and most teams don't have it it will be a little bit of an underachievement for this group of players for, for Euros, um, URCs or, or, or you know um, leagues as well you know whatever be, be Pro 14 or whatever four in a row too so we're, we're kind of we're quick to not belittle that but to move on from that level of success any other team achieving that success would be hailed as a great team but ultimately and this was how it was when we played as well. You judge yourself on Europe. You know, you didn't take the your domestic league for granted. Um, if you won it, fantastic. But ultimately, your season depended on how you got on in Europe and whether you had success or not. And when you've won it four times, you know how to get it done. And particularly when you look as though on paper you've got one of the best squads in Europe, that adds an extra pressure and, and, an, and an expectation um, to deliver. So... Because it's been semi-finals, losing finals, and a and a victory in the last, you know, five uh, five years, that doesn't feel like you know the the uh, return on investment of the quality in that setup. And um, yeah, they'll you know they'll feel as though they're favourites again, along with Toulouse. I would say joint favourites. And uh, when you're talking about, I did some media interviews for BT during the week. It's very hard to not press record, press play on what you said last year about if you're beating Toulouse and Leinster, you're going to be winning, and it feels the same again. Is there a different edge around Leinster training on a week like this? Do do things just go up a notch for a week of Europe? I like. I, I, it's hard because I, I I can only talk from my experience, and it's a very different environment from from when I was there. It always did feel as though there was a bit more bite in performances, you know, wanting to make sure that you were in that start in fifteen. Um, the guys, you know, when the team was selected on the Tuesday, there used to be a little bit more niggle um, on a Thursday session, a little bit more bite because guys were a bit put out of being on the bench or not being in the 23. So, um, yeah, these are the games, you know, whatever about playing in the big uh, URC games, Europe is where you want to be at. And to, to not start and not have an opportunity to play against the best players in Europe is, is disappointing. So, yeah, it does sharpen the focus a little bit more um, than maybe you an, an ordinary URC game would do. Um, but yet that environment, it feels as though they're, always training on quite a hard edge they're worked hard and the focus isn't rarely allowed to dip so it's you know from the outside looking in it, it feels as though it's just business as usual but they, they will have heightened anticipation and expectation and excitement because it is Europe What would be interesting then is how seriously and maybe that's the, the wrong adjective but how seriously this Leinster coaching ticket will take it when it comes to the team selection this week because it does seem and maybe you've got a different viewpoint Brian but it does seem from the people that we've spoken to this week I do get the sense that if there was a European Cup final this weekend and you just had Harry and Ross Byrne to pick from as your number 10 Ross would get the nod but obviously there seems to be the higher ceiling with Harry and obviously the, the fact that he needs more investment into his into his game time so if they're taking Europe going gung-ho at Europe from day one even though Bath are 0-9 this season it would suggest that Ross Byrne is going to get the nod but there does seem to be a mood out there this week that, that they're going to stick with Harry Byrne for week one I think that's for me that feels like the smart decision because of exactly what you said that ceiling piece the only way you're going to get Harry to learn the game he needs to play along with his automatic skill set that control aspect is by more game time and it does feel at times that he's pushing things that he's trying to make 
and you know the magic play early on in the game that's not what the expectation is that will organically happen he needs his first three or four involvements in the game to be simple you know functional pieces that are going to benefit the team not benefit harry Byrne and make him look good that's not what playing, playing yourself into the game what getting respect and credibility is about it's about the control aspect and then he can you know input one or two pieces of magic to over the course of a game as well that will be will, will ultimately be you know his his marker in in any side um i think the safe decision would be to go at ross because he's a better facilitator for the other players around him to bring out the most in themselves but i, I yeah i i guess i was a i was a huge advocate of harry's a year ago and i don't think it's quite progressed the way you would have anticipated even when he came on against Argentina, you know, his first three um, touches were, you know, would be marked down as negatives. And you just can't do that to you, to your side. When, when, it, when the going good, that's fine. There was no pressure on him then, but when things aren't going well, you need to be that, you know, that safety valve. You need to be someone that's coming in just to orchestrate things and to be able to de deliver, you know, a game plan efficiently and safely and then be able to throw your X factor in there on top of that. But right now, he's not getting the balance right. And that's why people are talking about maybe Ross being the guy to come in and just steer the ship through at the moment and until he kind of gets onto his game. But, but Harry won't get that experience until he starts these games. So I would continue picking him, to be honest with you, because there's enough safety in the other players around him to see this game through, I think. I, th I think Andy Dunn put it well the other night when he said that Harry Byrne can go from first gear up to fifth gear, whereas Ross Byrne is more steady in third gear all the time. So how, as a young player, do you manage to bring that control to your play? How do you calm yourself down that little bit to bring that level of consistency? I think I think that what I said there is... is you know the moments will come naturally the the ambition is always going to be there but i think what's va vitally important just to see yourself in through again the worst thing in, in a game is to start with an error so to try and think about not doing anything outrageous for the first five touches of the game to uh, my dad used to always say wait 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 you know for your opportunity to come for tired bodies and you know just try and play yourself in into it and get confident and get comfortable and and kind of build your repertoire build your game and um, you can't you never know your first moment might come in, in you know the first play of the game and you got to take advantage of it and you got to back yourself but but if there's nothing you know if it's a 50 50 opportunity of you know, a chance to go or to or to you know pick a runner or to you know put a ball in the air or play percentage. Well, that's the thing to do early on. Just play your way into it. And I do feel as though he could learn from listening to Felipe, listening to Johnny, and watching you know watching their games, um, where it's you know rarely trying to do something that's wowing the crowd in the first five minutes. That will happen. The the opportunity will come. So patience is such a key component of any outhouse game of being able to wait for their time to react to a situation unfolding and and just building the confidence it sounds like he's a pretty confident guy but mm. you know it doesn't mean that his confidence doesn't take a dent if he if the first two or three plays of a game don't work out for him of course it's going to impact even the most confident guys so just take it slowly and build your way into it it is a marathon not a sprint um, particularly if you're going to be starting the game, don't have to come off. He's not coming off the bench and trying to impress for 20 minutes and go right. I got to do better than that, uh, that other guy. It's about you know just building your game slowly and being what your brother definitely does, but also adding a little bit of 
of X Factor that maybe he doesn't quite possess. The other big talking point this week, because he was asked about it in his press conference, Stuart Lancaster, that is, is, is Jordan Larmer. And he made a really interesting point about the fact that often there is a dip or a plateau after a pretty explosive start to your career. And you get the sense reading between the lines here that he feels that Jordan Larmer is potentially at that spot in his career. I'm not sure if you ever had a, an early dip or an early plateau, Brian, but like how you actually deal with that is a, is a really interesting psychological challenge, I suspect. Yeah, they talk they talk about it being the second season syndrome, don't they? And I know Jordan's a few seasons in now. Um, he's had a lot of success from an early age breaking in. And sometimes when you have that success, you just expect it for the rest of your time. You expect automatic selection, both from a provincial and a and a national level. And then all of a sudden, you know, be it you have an injury at a, a bad injury layoff there and someone else gets an opportunity and does a good job. And then you find it hard to break back into your environment. Everyone knows what Jordan is capable of, um, you know, the incredible footwork, but he still has to develop his game as well and, and, and his spatial awareness as to when other people are, are on. There's been you know, probably a, a, a handful of occasions that I've identified and, and kind of watched over the course of the last couple of seasons when he overplays his hand and... Um, he, you know, he he does. It does feel as though he fits very well into both the Leinster and national game plan. His work rate, his insatiable appetite for work. He comes off, but his wings looking for the ball. He doesn't just you know wait for it to come to him and get cold out in the wings. So he he has lots of touches, lots of involvement. But the, such is the competitiveness of the back three. Um, position in, in the Irish setup now and the emergence of the likes of Robert Balakoon coming through, even Shane Daly, uh, Conway back in great form, Earl Sting hanging around low and Stockdale. Like there's a lot of high quality players there. So he has to be at the very top of his game to forge his way into that reckoning. And right now the guys in possession have done a, a terrific job. So he's going he's gonna to find himself uh, you know, on the outside unless he really impresses that provincial level. And again, another case of not overplaying your hand, not trying to do too much too soon. Be a facilitator for others. Be a link man as well. But when the opportunity arises for him to be the strike player, take those chances too and use that wicked footwork. Is there a sense that maybe just being a winger now rather than being anywhere in the back three will help him? Because it does seem that that jersey is sewn up from an Ireland perspective and a Leinster perspective. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I also don't think he possesses that the same natural kicking game that uh, that a Hugo Keenan does, and and we've seen at fullback he's he's not as efficient or you know, consistently as efficient in the air. He's a smaller man, so naturally, um, you know, it's it's he's going to be dominated at times by bigger players unless he has you know he he gets catches the ball right on the apex of you know of his of his leap. Um, he's, um, but he's a very, very effective winger, and I think personally, he's as much as he's great in broken field play from fullback, um, he'll still get lots of those opportunities out on the wing, um, and he can still turn up as first receiver when, when you know, Leinster or Ireland, when he gets his opportunity, when they get to the middle of the park, you need a first receiver on either side he should be turning up being that player as well not just having 10 and 15 being the receivers on either side of that midfield rook he can get in there become first receiver because as soon as you identify loose fours or tight tight forwards in you know in close proximity to where he's getting it he'll take them on get offloads away and that'll all just add to his his skill set so yeah he's got a he's got a um 
a big year ahead if he wants more international um, honours. Um, he hasn't done a huge amount wrong, but all of a sudden he finds himself out in the wilderness. So, yeah, it's what can he do to elevate himself to the next level um, to hone all the good good parts of his game, but also work on a couple of those aspects that maybe are keeping him out in the minds of of, uh, of Andy Farrell in particular and on occasion with, uh, with Stuart Lancaster and, and Leo Cullen. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that one plays out. One person who perhaps was out of form, perhaps it was just a little bit of a, an injury that he couldn't properly shake off, but he's certainly back now, if you want to say that, is Gary Ringrose. He's had a brilliant start to the season, had an excellent November, obviously. Is this anger from the Lions spilling over into a, a brilliant season? Can, can a player utilise that? Yeah, perhaps. You know, in another world, he could have had two Lions uh, t- um, tours under his belt, you know, for um, New Zealand in 2017. You know, there was, I remember talking to Andy Farrell about it and and saying, you know, he needs to go. And, and Andy was like, you got to try and you know keep beating that drum um, because he understood how effective Gary was, how good he was, and uh, what a what a great operator he is in on a fast track, but also when the going gets tough as well, we've got to roll your sleeves up. He's able to play on on all sides of the ball. Um, he um, you know he's obviously a very, very fit player. You can see it, an incredible pro, a real student of the game. Um, you know, really identifying year on year how he can improve, how he can get another couple of percent out of himself. Um, and, and he's playing you know, brilliant stuff. You think about how many tries he picks up, how many lines he runs to be the link player and giving that final pass as well. That all comes from reading the game, analyzing the game, but also working incredibly hard on that physical fitness to, to be an 80-minute guy. And um, yeah, it, it's a great um, you know, signing for Leinster to get an Ireland to get him for another three seasons now. Um, the only thing, and, I, and I've said this before, I do think that on occasion he overplays his hand a bit like a bit like Jordan. Sometimes, you know, I think he'd probably pick up more tries if he shifted the pass when he's in, you know, um, in kind of tight spaces or if if in doubt he tucks and goes and he's very effective at it. So it's hard to argue the point. But sometimes, if if fifty percent of the time there's a chance of getting the ball to the extremity. He can throw that and then play support player. And I think the offloading game that we've seen with Leinster and Ireland will organically offer more opportunities for him to, you know, to carry the ball for longer periods and, and get more scores. So he's doing so much good stuff, right? He, he's reading his defense is brilliant. Even though there's a, there's a few misses being put down beside his name, his ability to stop the ball, getting out wide, getting shots on and other people finishing off the job is a, big part of that the, the defensive systems that he's uh, involved in with with club and country so um i wouldn't i wouldn't concern myself with what stats are looking on miss tackles because he's so effective at what he does and when he does read through and make those big impacts they have huge knock, um, positive knock-on effects to getting generating penalties and turnovers and so on so doing so much uh, good stuff at the moment and, and his partnership with with, um, with Robbie is integral to, to national and, and provincial setup. That reading of the game piece, obviously, I, I presume, experience is, is the main factor in, in developing that. Is there anything else a player can do, should be doing in order to, to accelerate that process of getting just better at reading the game? Well, I think the big thing on reading the game, it's, it's the an- analysis and the self-analysis, not analysing the opposition, but understanding what your cues are to read through. And, and sometimes you've got to mix it up as well. 
where you're dummy blitzing as well to get in the eye line of the eye half, but then coming off the gas or um, or 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 just realizing your down numbers. So I think that the big thing is showing a different picture, is showing something where you're starting really wide and you're looking to shoot in, but then you have an ability to shape off as well. All, a lot of it is about spooking the out half, about realizing that you're there to make that impact, that you can pick up um, intercepts or you're getting in his eye line. But the last thing you want to do is become predictable. So, you know, constantly honing and evolving that, you know, what you are doing doesn't remain the same from the previous se season. I made the fatal error in 2010 after I had, a, I had a good defensive season, picked up some more, um, some intercepts, made lots of really good reads, very few bad ones in 09. And then all, all of a sudden, 010, I thought I could do it all again. And I completely overread things, made some you know catastrophic errors, costing tries. And, and so maybe I just thought what I did the previous season, I'd be able to do again. But the game evolves and you need to evolve with it. So players will work out your defensive setups, your defensive structures, and your tells, a bit like playing poker, as to what you like to do, what shape you know, you try you tend to shoot on. So you just have to you know modify that and make sure that you're not becoming very um, easy to interpret yourself. What did you do to fix that in twenty ten? I just pulled back from trying to make too many reads. You just have to get back into the line and just be part of the system. Um, and you know, it, uh, it probably came from an overconfidence of thinking I can solve this on my own. And it's, a, it's almost an ego piece. Right. And, and then you kind of go, hang on, I've just cost my team a try or I've really hurt them 50 yards down the pitch. I, I can't do that because I think I can solve this issue on my own. And I, I guess from a reading perspective, you know, maybe myself and, and Gordon you know, back a decade ago or even longer were probably pretty we were probably early in those that went and read through situations but now it can be it can be taught it can be honed it can be modified whereas no one was really doing a lot of it back then i was just about trying to understand the different situations you found yourself in and but making sure that you you didn't become that predictable person that every time you blitz and it's the same as a backline defense sometimes You'll, you'll shoot as a collective, offset off play. We used to have a hammer defense where you just take the first four and it was about spooking the opposition, usually on the first scrum or line out, where we line up and just take the first four. And sometimes it, it could really hurt you, but rarely do tens have the time when they're not expecting it to come to pick out the perfect pass when it's being closed down and in hundreds of a second, all of a sudden they'll tuck or they'll try and hoof it in the air or they'll get rid of the ball. So it's just a matter of getting in their heads, realizing we're going to change things up today and, and you're going to get a bit of hammer, you're going to get some soft, you're going to get different alignments to make sure that you, you, you are always second guessing every play that you go through. Right, okay, so that's uh, Leinster against Bath. It's a 3.15 kickoff on Saturday. Uh, rugby and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, official sponsor of the Irish rugby team, team of us, everyone in. You're listening to Brian O'Driscoll previewing the first weekend of the Heineken Champions Cup. Uh, the, the big story over the last couple of weeks, Brian, has been the Munster situation. They're away to Wasps on Sunday at quarter past three. Johan van Grand saying this week that everyone expects Munster be, to be beaten. Then on the other side, you've got John Mitchell saying he doesn't understand how Wasps can possibly be favourites. It's hard to know who's actually doing their team more of a disservice there. But you look at the Munster squad depletion, you look at the fact that those 22 additional squad players, a lot of whom they're going to need in the pack, are all under the age of 21. Like that, that is a real tangible thing before we see the team sheet 
that could give Munster fans worry, that lack of experience and that just that youth, the, 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 the young bodies in that pack, which, which could really cost them. Well, it, it has, it's been their Achilles heel, hasn't it, the last few years, that front five in particular, um, when it comes to the bigger European games, where it looks as though on paper that they've been able to match everyone in a back row, half-backs and outside-backs quality to be able to deliver performances. But yet, when it comes to you know playing against the best teams, quarterfinals, semifinals, they, they get out-muscled and get beaten up. And... Obviously, um, Snyman coming in, Ty Byrne has been there a few seasons now. Um, but you look at the front row, besides Kilcoyne, I just don't think that they have been able to offer the same quality in those positions than the likes of the Saracens, the Leinsters, the Larishels, and so on. So the big French pack, the Toulouse's. So um, it, it would make you nervous because you know where they've fallen down in the past in knockout stages now they they run that risk in you know the first group stage that said and not a huge amount of it is being said over here i think wasps have 18 first team injuries uh, or or certainly squad injuries so they are pretty depleted themselves and if there is any club in europe that will be galvanized by the by being written off by being um you know someone that's going to be put to the sword you know traveling away it, it is definitely monster we've seen what they've done in the past um, write them off at your peril. So as much as these guys coming in, you know, they have to set a platform for that star-studded backline still to to um, to to deliver. Um, it's it's a it's a big ask for them. And can the international players around those you know inexperienced players can they build them up? Can they give them the right messaging? Can they back them up with huge performances themselves? to kind of counter the inexperience that we're looking at. Got to think, though, too, that every player needs an opportunity at some point to stamp their authority on a position. This mm. is their chance. This is their chance. you got to look, you know, glass half full rather than glass half empty from their perspective. They won't be so sorry that guys are down in South Africa and that they're, you know, they're in the 23, you know, what appeared non on, not on merit. They won't give a fiddler's. They, all they're worried about is this is my chance to actually be a name in the hat for when the next next squad is selected and we're picking from a, a full team or a full squad that we have I have the opportunity to impress here, maybe get a victory. Go, hang on, maybe he's a lot better than I gave him credit for in the first place. That's that's all you need from a player perspective is one chance. And when you get given that chance, you got to take it. For sure. That back line as well, Brian, I think you mentioned it there, the, the, the fact that this is not, not fully stocked, but close to being fully stocked uh, for, for the weekend. I mean, they can cause serious trouble to, as you say, what, what is a Wasps team that haven't been amazing and have struggled quite a bit with their, their own injury troubles throughout this season as well. So there's a lot of things you can point to, a lot of tangibles on the other side of this that, that give you a real sense that that Munster are going to win because it does feel that the narrative this week has been the intangible, the sort of the spirit of Munster, the, their ability to go to the well when, when they're up against it. But actually, when you look at it on paper and when we see the team sheet, I'm sure people will look at that backline and say, that's a winning backline. Yeah, but but we do know that you know that age old saying that you know forwards win games, and backs decide yeah. by how much, and that and that that's a reality. You do need a platform. It's very hard with with possession going the back foot, even the best players in the world, to to deliver a, a great performance when you know the the speed of the rook ball is slow. Um, and listen, that, that's not to say that they can't do it because you look at that, you know, nine, ten, twelve in in particular, but also you know the wingers and um, how potent they've been over the course of November as well. Um, 
but you know, they, in Damien Dialande, they've got you know arguably the informed center and in, inside center in the world, along with Robbie Henshaw, um, and you know, if they can get any sort of parity, I think Matt Munster can definitely do a job because they've they've got way more firepower in the back line for sure. Um, but it, that's a big if, and you know, that's where set piece will come will be vitally important. You know, scrum if they're inexperienced players at, at scrum time, Wasp will absolutely go after that. And we've seen how scrum is still an integral part of the game, where you know it, you, it's it can be possession territory points, and um, if you're really struggling in that area, um, line out as well. A lot of these players won't have actually played together as units so that mm. you know this over the course of the last week they'll have do, been doing an awful lot of work on their timing and and strategy and um so if, if they can make sure that they win you know 80 plus 85 percent of their line out ball and give themselves good platform i do fancy that those monster backs can 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 do real real damage it's just um it's just a matter of getting that parity at least and and then we saw with with Joey, you know, he's very capable of kicking, you know, keeping the scoreboard ticking over as he did against the All Blacks, as he did against Argentina, kicking your points and particularly away from home. Maybe they'll be less focused towards going to the corner as teams are doing at the moment on penalties that seem very kickable. And, you know, there's a, been a real flux towards towards that kind of mentality of wanting five, seven rather than taking an easy three. I just fancy that maybe Munster with the kickable penalties that they might get, they should probably knock those over and then hope for a huge defensive display. It's been an interesting week for Munster, I think it's fair to say. Uh, the other big headline around the team has been regarding the future of Johan van Graan. He's been linked with Bath. Uh, he wouldn't get into it when he was asked about it this week. He says he never gets into to speculation when he's asked about it in his press conference. First of all, Brian, how big a blow would losing van Graan be to Munster? It's a good question, and I, I'm not entirely sure because they've been, if they really had wanted him and they weren't hedging bets in some shape or form, perhaps they'd have signed him up at this stage. We are in December of his final year contract. Uh, so what's the delay? So I, I think they obviously felt as though they were in pole position, the, the board with regard to we'll see how you know this season plays out, the style they're playing how Europe progresses and then all of a sudden, you know, he starts playing, uh, you know, there's a bit of Dutch auction going on thinking, well, there's someone else that is interested. If you're not going to sign me up, well, I'll go have conversations elsewhere. And obviously Bath are in a bad spot at the moment. And, you know, he's playing a, he's playing a good game with regard to that. The fact that he's not saying anything is very smart because you, there's no point in giving, you know, any headline, um, any any quote whatsoever, it's not going to benefit your situation no matter what you say. So I think he's he's playing a shrewd game. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you kind of think, oh, gosh, you know, what we have is better than an alternative of an unknown to be losing Stephen Larkham. So why, if they if they really back him, why haven't they signed them up again at this point? I, I'm, I'm interested to understand why. And I don't know the answer to that. It has been interesting thinking about this Munster coaching ticket that there has been a sense that the jury is out on, on Van Gran. whereas maybe with Stephen Larkham there was a real sense of excitement. Like, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe there's some sort of bias towards Larkham as, as a player or something there that and, and what he had done previously that, that Munster fans were really excited to see what he could do. And it does feel that there's 
this was just one big opportunity missed through no fault of Larkham's own just through the pandemic maybe through the injury troubles that Joey Carberry have had that Munster haven't really seen what Larkham could do with a good run of form at his first choice out half over the, the last little while so you do wonder if they get to the end of the season Brian and there's a chance to sort of reevaluate everything when it comes to this coaching ticket yeah yeah like all you can do is look at what they've delivered in the last few months and it's been it does feel like it, there's a big progression again the, the evolution of their game they've they've identified the need to change the point of contact to look to an offload game and that's all that, that takes a period of time to to change the psyche where you've been very forward orientated for a long period of time to try and make muscle teams and all of a sudden you don't have the personnel to do that so you've got to shift your game and um, Rob Penny tried to play that Canterbury style before they had the skill set to do it and and came unstuck. And so Van Gran, it's his fourth season, Larkham's third now, proper one, where you know had an opportunity to work at preseason, work on their skills and hone and develop and change that game plan, which I think has been, you know, definitely an improvement on on last season. But the litmus test is ultimately Europe. It's not the URC because they know that they can get to semi-finals of the URC. They know that on their day they can potentially go and win that. But the question marks, and they're similar to Leinster, surrounds Europe as to when it gets to the crux of semi-finals, finals, something not quite there. You know, we don't have either the players or the game plan to deliver. Well, it feels like the players and and the depth of squad has improved, and now it looks as though they have the game plan to cause problems against any side. Um, and the personnel that are fit to be able to deliver that, particularly Joey Carberry now that he's had a, a, a run of um, of games uninjured. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do feel as though Larkin feels like a loss because as much, again, as I don't know his coaching um, philosophies from a day-to-day point of view, from from watching and seeing the evolution of, of the game under him over the last few years, it's definitely going in the right way the, way, the way it needs to go for the group of players that he has to be able to mix up the physical, but also in, improve their skill sets and make them a 1-15 to 15 team um, because that's the necessity for them to be able to go one step further in, a, in, you know, in, in European semifinals. Yeah, for sure. What you're saying there probably almost increases the, the disappointment, I'd imagine, to, to any Munster fans listening, just that sense that they are going in the right direction and he's not going to be there next season. Yeah. The other thing as well, the concerning thing is, imagine you lost both of them then. Mm. You know, where do you go? So all of a sudden you've lost even Larkham, who, you know, has done good work. The last thing you want is, you know, even if you're unsure about a coach like that, is to lose two and then start again. Do you do you promote Graham Roundtree to head coach? Does he pick up on, use the same philosophy? Is he... It, you know, I, again, I've I've worked with with Graham at, at Lions, but he's very um, rook focused, very forward focused. I, I don't know what his vision would be from a head coaching perspective. Do you then leapfrog someone in? Do you bring bring um, Prendergast in from from France? Um, you know, is he ready to take on a lead role? So there's so many uncertainties. It just does feel that Munster are building something. And getting there a bit slower than maybe people would have wanted, but it's definitely going in the right direction. And then do you stop all of that by changing tack with a new coach because someone's been poached or because two players or two coaches have been poached? That's not a situation I, I think that they want to find themselves in. No, that's for sure. Um, Sunday at one o'clock, 
Connacht versus Stade Francais. The next game we want to move on to. This is a game you've been uh, looking forward to previewing this week yourself, Brian. Like, I mean, Connacht, there's no question about uh, the brand of rugby that they're producing this season. Absolutely uh, sensational to watch. And yet, it seems that there was maybe a, a disproportionate collapse from them last Friday, it seemed. It seemed that they weren't a, a, as bad as the, the scoreline suggested at the end, but yet that was the final scoreline. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel um, it was it was that level of score. When you when you see a score away from home and then you go and watch the game, you're kind of waiting for the catastrophe to begin. And it didn't ever feel like there was it was catastrophic. It wasn't a capitulation, and which is kind of amazing when you can see that that amount of points. I think that's more to Leinster's to the effectiveness of Leinster rather than to the negativity around around Connacht. Like I said, the first 20-25 minutes in particular, I thought they were very good, abrasive, physical, um, you know, very good um, at the rook. They made it, you know, a, a, a nuisance of Leinster's ball. Um, their defensive alignment was good, but then on the flip side in the second half, they got caught on a couple of set piece plays that um, that they just shouldn't have, um, where you know they're they're trying to align themselves a little bit wider, but as soon as they turn their shoulders in and the ball is you know gets into the wide extremities, they're in major trouble. So I still think they're a while away from a defensive point of view of nullifying those really good teams. And um, they should have been caught by Ulster um, in the game in the Aviva a few weeks back, where they played very narrow and played aggressively and and. They picked off a they picked off a try as a, as an intercept where it could have been seven up the other way. So I do feel as though that's part of their game that is still evolving and they're they're uncertain with it. They can have big defensive displays, but there's a, there's a lack of consistency around what they're doing and the personnel in there. Uh, I think the likes of Tom Daly be a big loss because Bundy's um, Bundy's not going to be playing either. So to have you know those two centres gone, so is it Farrell? Is it Peter Robb? They're going to be defending in there. I don't think that they have the experience, particularly Peter Robb. You know, he made a, a questionable read for one of those Leinster tries last week. Uh, the Jordan Larmer try where he ducked in under the cover. You know, that, that's off a set play. You just can't be conceding off set plays. So, um, yeah, they they are look very um, vastly improved in attack. Their, create, their shape, it looks good. Um They've got an out half that's taking the ball aggressively to the line, sometimes too aggressively. I think he could, he could, he doesn't have to hit every ball that he hits a hundred miles an hour as he does. There's something great about that, but at the same time, sometimes he just needs to hold his space a little bit more and create that opportunity by speed of pass and by the the bounce of the players, uh, you know, that he's passing to as well, rather than necessarily taking to the line every time. Almost a more mature version of Harry Byrne than the same problem but just whatever eight years older seven years older you can't you can't you can't knock his enthusiasm and the way the aggressiveness with which he's playing I think I think to be honest with you it's a more controlled version of Harry at the moment and there's there's less big errors hmm. um, but you know sometimes I look I look and every 10 hits the ball differently but if you actually watch where he stands and then where he hits the ball, like he, he runs hard onto it. It's very hard to throw a pass, a 10-meter pass or a 6- or 7-meter pass to someone behind two forwards when you hit it that aggressively. So I think he could mix things up a little bit. He can still show square to the line, interest the inside defenders, but then give himself an opportunity to be able to 
not be forced by the, the pressure of the defence to throw those passes a little easier and give more time to his outside backs and his outside forwards as well. So, yeah, I'd be interested. Look, I'm covering the game this weekend against Stad, who are a big kind of marauding pack. Not... Um, not as entertaining, that's for sure. The bit that I have seen of them, um, big, you know, set-piece orientated, good scrum, ripped, you know, La Rochelle apart in the second half last weekend. So they'll go after the Connacht scrum. Um, and then, you know, they're out half, um, you know, good goal kicker, sits in the pocket, expect the, the back three to be rained upon with, with balls in the air, particularly if there's any, you know, poor conditions. So I I feel as though Stad will be going there hoping to try and squeeze the life out of Connacht and they can't get sucked into that game. They've got to keep playing with the open mind and, and kind of the, the, uh, the kind of intent that they have shown thus far to be able to create space. And I think they're going in the right direction. But now it's another step up at Europe for them to prove themselves. And I saw during the week that Andy Ferran said, we want to be the first Connacht team to find ourselves in the knockout stage of the Champions Cup. And it's going to be tough because they've got to go to Leicester as mm. well. But it's not unachievable. Yeah, Leicester. They talk about Bath 0-9, Leicester 9-0 in the Premiership. They're in Welford Road next week, Connacht against them. So this almost takes on the must-win facade this weekend if, if Andy Friend is saying that they want to be the next team to get out, first Connacht team to get out of their group. They have to win this weekend. You know, they. I don't think they will qualify because Stad's going to be a very difficult place to go. Uh, Paris is, irrespective of where they are um, or what their interest levels are, the French teams don't like losing at home in, in any league. So they will find it tough over there. And how, how physical they find it in the sports ground this weekend, it'll be twice as physical in, in Paris. So I do feel as though this is an absolute must game, must win for them. And then try and go and pick something up in Leicester next week. We don't really know what you're going to need to 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 achieve in this four pool um, comp- um, you know, version of the competition because last year there was two games played and then two cancelled mm. and teams were qualifying having not won one of their two games. So are two games going to be enough for some teams to qualify in? Will everyone need to three need three? Might some teams squeeze through on one? We don't actually know yet, which makes it intriguing this time round. So first and foremost, you must win your home games. I don't think teams are going to qualify on less than two. So right. win two, squeeze um, maybe an away victory or two losing point bonus points away from home. I think you have every chance of qualifying. Saturday at half past five then, Claremont at home to Ulster and if we're talking about inconsistencies or maybe even travelling in the right direction it's it's actually sometimes hard to, to pin down Ulster because there's been a wild inconsistency to them this season last weekend's results was borderline bizarre I think it's fair to say uh, Brian like they, they probably deserved to, to win that game but didn't get the result again it must be unbelievably frustrating to be an Ulster supporter but at the same time given what they have shown on the positive column this season you're thinking to yourself they've got every chance of winning in France on Saturday night yeah, I think they're they're going to Claremont at a good time. I think the hoodoo around Claremont in in Stade Marcel Michelin is well and truly gone. Um, they're they've been a little bit flaky at home as much as away from home. Um, they there's there feels like a real transition in that Claremont team, a turnover of players. Um, you know, Cami Lopez is heading down to Bayonne next year. Um, you know, Morgan Parra, I think there's talk of him going to Paris to Stade um, you know, next year as well. So 
sometimes when guys have signed off, you know, they've you know, signed on the dotted line, they've signed off in their heads as well. And when things aren't going well, and, and they've certainly got a history of it, when things aren't going well, they've been known to throw the towel in. So it does feel like it's a good time for Ulster to, to go there. I was super impressed with their performance, the abrasiveness of their performance against Leinster a couple of weeks ago. But then they can't back it up the following week, which will be very frustrating to their supporter base and Dan McFarlane. But um, yeah, we, we've talked about their next progression. You know, they're getting to um, URC finals. They need to win one of those as well, as much as Munster do. Um, but again, a, a kind of a quarterfinal, possible semifinal feels as though it's where their ceiling is at the mm. moment. But if they could get there, it's another stepping stone onto getting to a, a position of where they can properly compete at a European level again. And is there a, a, consi- a consistency to the inconsistency at all when you look at Ulster over the last little while? Is there is there a thread that you find in between all the games where they have let down their own expectations? But well, you look at their you look back to when they had Yoan Muller and John Afoa, You know the quality of those two players in their tight five. I think there's still absolute question marks around their their tight five. Ian Henderson obviously is vitally important to them, but and they'll say that Alan O'Connor is you know is a big player for them. But ultimately, when push comes to shove in the big games, the quarterfinals, semifinals. Those players need to play absolutely out of their skin to step up to the Marotogis and the James Ryans of the world. Um, so um, it, it does feel a bit like Munster that that has been their 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 um, the letdown from from their perspective that you know they haven't had the front row. You know, you look at that John Afoa and Rory Best and Johan Muller. There's three of five front you know front five players that are. You know, world class on their day. I, I don't know if you could say a huge amount of outside of Hendy, um, outside of Ian Henderson in in the five jerseys. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it does feel as though their platform. You look, they've always had good backs. They've they've got you know good half backs. Both you know, be it Cooney or Doak at nine. Billy Burns is a facilitator on his day, very effective. But I'd really like the look of. The, the centre pairing, McCluskey particularly, um, uh, along with, with Hume at this level, maybe hasn't quite made the step up to international, but he can be really disruptive. So they've got the mm. player quality to play in the Champions Cup to deliver big performances, but but you know, one-offs, if you go to, to Claremont, you've got to back it up the following week, and then you've got to do it in rounds two and three as well, or three and four as well. And I, I think that's where they've, they've struggled. I don't know whether they sometimes believes a little bit of their own press that they're really improving and all of a sudden they come unstuck by a team that maybe they ordinarily should be. I'm going to ask you to give me a number out of four for the Irish provincial wins this weekend, Brian. What are you thinking? I'm going to say, I think Connacht are going to win. Um, I think, um, I think Leinster will win. Um, I think, Munster will lose, but I think it'll be a hell of a lot closer than maybe all the speculation has been has suggested. Um, and I'm going to go for an Ulster away win. Okay. I don't know. I, just, I don't think I don't think Claremont are in a good spot. And if they can get any, again, it's a lot of it is to do with parity. If they can get any sort of ball quality possession, we know what the likes of Cooney can do with kicking kicking goals. Claremont's um, discipline very questionable so if they can 
keep that scoreboard ticking over and put you know, put a screw in, in Claremont heads, I, I do fancy that Ulster might be able to do something. On the on, you know, to counter that, they could the reality is against Claremont away from home you could lose by thirty or forty, but I'm gonna go with an Ulster victory. No point in playing it safe. Absolutely. Try, I'm trying. I'm trying to get those uh, after basket case. I'm trying to get those Ulster fans back on side. <laughs> it's week. It's week one, Brian. You may as well just put yourself out there and then the tail between the legs next week for your picks. Just w- w- one last thing before we let you go. We were asking all the head coaches and captains that were available to us for media during the week about any of the rule changes that they'd like to see made to the game. And uh, Rob Baxter was like, first of all, they're called laws, and second of all, stop changing the laws to the game. He said that every law is trying to speed the game up have more ball and play time he says that's not necessarily good from say a safety standpoint from the standpoint of head injuries we had Matt Williams on Wednesday Night Rugby who went against that pretty convincingly I think it's fair to say he thinks that we should be trying to keep the ball and play more that we should be trying to speed the game up uh, and that the, the audience should be better served than the product that we are currently getting so I'm not sure where you stand uh, on that particular debate well I think if so take the summer versus take the November internationals we were all a bit disillusioned after the Lions tour, the quality of the rugby that we saw, um, save for a bit of that third test when Finn Russell came on, it did feel as though we were being bored into submission watching it. It was, it was hard viewing. I heard lots of people didn't watch the third test because they just couldn't stomach the, st- the style of play. So we were kind of a bit, a bit kind of browbeaten by that. And then all of a sudden you get Scotland, France, England and Ireland, Wales in patches, but not to the same degree, playing great rugby, you know, easy on the eye, very effective, heads up, and all of a sudden you've got to love back for it again. So the the important thing in, in trying to get new eyeballs is we've got to make our game attractive. We've got to try and simplify it where we can. We've got to make it attractive because trying to compete with football and other major sports is always going to be a difficult thing to do. So the last thing we want to do is lose the fan base that we have. So I'm all for modifying the laws, provided they make them better. And I think the perfect example of that is the 50-22. It's a great law. It's a great rule. Mm. Because it 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 create you it does feel as though we've created more space in the extremities and, and the width. It feels like the ball is being is being passed to the 15s on either side and even into the five meter channels way more than it has done the last few years. And then there's an excitement around when one of those 50-20s does happen and you know a, a, a team really you know gets um, c- kind of get a, gets a rush from being able to you know watch that ball going into a tw- into the 22 and then they get the th- line out throw and then the effectiveness of line out malls and so on. So I, I do feel as though law modifications are positive. The one that I want to see is um, on penalty advantage then close to the opposition line for the second player to infringe killing the ball I want to see them going to the bin I've said this for about three years now and it's it's a serious serious bugbear and I don't care if I if I sound like I'm pressing repeat it, it's something needs to be done about it because we want teams on those freebie plays to go for Hail Marys we want them to go for the exciting chip kicks or reverse kicks or little snipes where ordinarily they might not have a go. We don't want, we don't want teams playing it safe. So um, I want referees to go to their pocket and, and, and send in players. So the attacking team that has penalty advantage can try and go for the five pointers rather than, um, you know, watching another kick being, being put between the posts right that's a, that's a good shout that makes sense listen Brian great stuff today uh, enjoy the rest of the jet lag thanks a million 
Cheers, Owen. Cheers. Bye. Brian O'Driscoll with us there. Uh, that is it for today's rugby. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. 